welcome. I sometimes will talk to people. Well, quite often I'll talk to them. But one of the things when I talk with them, I will share with them. I became, or how I became a preacher, how I do what I do during the week. And sometimes I'll tell some jokes. One joke is, I'll tell them, and when I went to college, I was a political science and history major. And that's really kind of tough, because you're not supposed to talk about politics. And, you know, I know what they're saying, and it's passionately held views, and it degenerates into an argument. But I believe in classical argument, that is, putting forth your thesis and then you're supporting it with your evidence. And you're rebutting their argumentation, their evidence, with your own evidence. People don't like that. Because really, a lot of the arguments that they have get into shouting matches with nobody listening. Which we see that on TV a lot, and we see that in public discourse a lot. Nobody is listening, and therefore we get nothing done. Well, then I became a preacher after college. Just some things happened after becoming a Christian. Decided I wanted to preach the gospel. You're not supposed to talk about religion. I mean, go figure. It's the most important thing there is, and they tell you you're not supposed to talk about it. And again, that's because they're passionately held thoughts and viewpoints, and it'll get into an argument that no one can prove or disprove. Because you've heard it said, well, you can prove anything you want with the Bible. You just open it up and you can find something and you'll use it to prove it. You know, if you take things out of context and don't do it, apply it properly, you will do so. But again, argument, classically speaking, is you put forth your thesis statement and your evidence and you support your case. And you rebut the other arguments. It doesn't have to get into just a shouting match. And there may be times where we will just say, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Because nobody will want to accept your argument, your truth, the truth of God's Word. We live in a day, an era, where everything has to be politically correct and sensitive to everybody else. I'm all in favor of being sensitive to people. I'd rather attack the issue than the person. But too many times people feel that they're being attacked when they aren't, but an issue is. And consequently, they want, of all people, they want Christians most to be silent on any given subject. If we talk about those five that were killed in Chattanooga, and we say it was Islamic terrorism, they become offended. Because you're classifying all of Islam in that, and perhaps to some degree that would be true. Because if you're not actively doing it, okay, you're not guilty. But if you're silent about the matter, and you're not condemning the matter, I say you're guilty. Because you'd be doing it if you had a chance. And if you wouldn't be doing it, you're glad that you have your thugs that are doing it for you. And that could be true of just about anything, I suppose. On social issues, they don't want us to talk about them because, like, well, we know that we just had recently, a month ago now, I think it's been, a Supreme Court decision that says that gays can marry. 
And they don't want you talking bad about that because they relate it to you talking about an individual person and not about a sin. And so they don't want you talking about those passages in the Bible that condemn homosexuality. And in fact, in some places, I think it's this way in Britain, I think I've heard cases of it happening in Canada or being very close to it, where just by preaching the gospel and condemning biblically with book, chapter, and verse homosexuality, that you're in violation of discrimination laws. And that should not be. But then when you see it out in the world and people don't want you to talk about it, one of the things that I find out is that it's on the social issues and the political issues of our day, they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to see the ugliness of what man has come to. In Genesis chapter 6, as I spoke last week, about you know, in Jesus' is coming, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, the hearts of men's minds were on evil continually. The transformation after the cross was, when Christ was preached on Pentecost, the Christians were devoting themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God, to breaking of bread, to fellowship and prayer. Against God, for God, in Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That in and of itself will cause people to be offended. How dare you think that you're the only ones going to heaven that you have to be in Christ? How dare you condemn my actions because of your Bible? You need to get a new Bible. You need to move up in this world. You need to get in the 21st century, read. There's a quote that is often attributed, and apparently it's not by what he actually said, Edmund Burke, an Irish parliamentarian, back in the 1700s. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. You think about it. Evil will triumph if good people will do nothing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, took that quote seriously. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany in the 30s. He died at the age of 39. He was executed by the Nazi authorities because of his outspoken words. Because he didn't want it to happen. Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Very true. I don't find anything wrong with what he said. I think it's very true what he said. If you're silent when evil is going on all around you because you don't want to look at the evil, you don't want to deal with the evil thinking it'll just go away when it will only get worse. I mean, it didn't get bad in chapter 6 of Genesis overnight. It took several successive generations and generations and generations till finally God said, enough. I'm done with it. In the same way it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't just out of the blue that he just said, oh, I think I'll destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. No, the ungodliness, the abominations before him were there. And he said, enough. And he told Abraham, I'm going to destroy this place. Well, Abraham knew that his nephew Lot was there with his family, and he was concerned about him. He said, well, Lord, what about 50? 
Okay, I won't destroy it for 50. All the way down to 10. But 10 couldn't be found. It didn't happen that way overnight. Bonhoeffer went on to write, saying the church was silent when she should have cried out because of the blood of the innocent was crying to heaven. She has failed to speak the right word in the right way at the right time. She has not raised her voice on behalf of the victim. She has witnessed in silence the spoliation and exploitation of the poor and the enrichment and corruption of the strong. Words like that had got Bonhoeffer arrested by the Gestapo and was then executed, being hung by piano wire until he was dead. It was in 1933 when Adolf Hitler became chancellor in Germany, came into power. He scornfully dismissed the church for pastors as an irrelevant force which posed no threat to his Nazi agenda. He said, I promise you, he boasted to his inner circle, that I, I wish I could destroy the church in just a few years. If I wish I could destroy the church in just a few years, it is hollow, it is rotten, and falls through and through. One push and the whole structure would collapse. Why should we trap the preachers, he said, though? By their notorious greed and self-indulgence, we shall thus be able to settle everything with them in perfect peace and harmony. I'll give them a few years reprieve. Why should we quarrel? They will swallow anything to keep their material advantage. The Parsons will be made to dig their own graves. They will betray their God for us. They will betray anything for the sake of their miserable jobs and incomes. Hmm. And they were silent. And six million Jews were killed. We call it the Holocaust. We think of Auschwitz and other places where they were taken to their grave. All because good people wouldn't speak out. Evil triumphed. And Hitler's Nazi Germany was born and people died. You say, read that some interesting history. Where are you going with all this? I think God's preachers, God's prophets have always been condemned. And too many times I think we just say, well, we don't, we don't want to deal with those because those issues get to be political and we, we just want to talk to people. Well, you know, there's true and it's not true. By confronting people with what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, we're preaching the gospel to them. But we're also telling them that they need to get their life in order. Today we have churches that are openly accepting churches in a very broad, general sweep of the brush. Accepting homosexual relationships and marriages. They're changing their views on them. Why? Well, because we want to be compassionate. They're nice people. They're looking at the people as an individual, and they know that person to be nice. And kind and compassionate. And there are some that I'm certain are that way. But they're still lost. And you're not doing them a favor by being silent. In Proverbs chapter 14, Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So what do we do? We know what Paul said. In the last days, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
Realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. You go on to say in chapter 4, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, for the time will, with great patience and instruction, the time will, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own words. He said, Timothy, you be ready. And he's not talking about what's, those things can filter into the church because they're in the world. We have an obligation not to be silent. We have to stand up with the light of Christ, the light of God, and say, those sins are wrong and they're horrible. And we need to call people to realize the depravity of it. Abortion is our genocide today in this this country and maybe in this world. We can look and judge Hitler as being a terrible person and Stalin and Lenin and all those guys as being horrible, terrible, bad people for killing, forget how many they individually killed. Millions. And yet, how many babies are aborted every year in this country? Not that some people aren't saying something about it, they are. But are we saying enough? Are we getting it, our message out to people to try to persuade them through argumentation why it's wrong? And now a video comes to light about Planned Parenthood selling baby parts. If you watch the video, it will upset you, I hope. And I hope you will watch the video so you see the depravity of what's going on in our world. So that we will not be silenced. So that we will not be evil in the face of evil. God's prophets have had it hard all of their days. Isaiah chapter 6, we think of that oftentimes. He said, I saw the Lord in the year of King Uzziah's death, sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. He was so impressed, he heard all this sign in heaven in his vision. He says, woe is me, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the lord of hosts, verse 5. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. You know, when God... Did that for Isaiah? It wasn't him. He just said, who shall I send? Who will go? And Isaiah immediately volunteered. I don't know how many men and women on 9-11 in the days after that volunteered to go to war to protect our country, to take it to the enemy at that time. And people of all stripes were on board with that. And how quickly we have forgotten All for the name of political correctness. Isaiah was ready to go because he was changed. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so when we were born again, when we became disciples of Christ, we took on that mandate to go into all the world, make disciples, but also to stand for the fatherless and the weak and downtrodden. Mother Teresa, in 1994, National Prayer Breakfast, Bill Clinton and First Lady Hillary Clinton were there, Al Gore was there, and wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to speak to people in power like that? And here's what she said on the topic of abortion. I feel the greatest danger of peace today is abortion. Because it is a war against the child. A direct killing of the innocent child murdered by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? So we have teenagers killing each other for tennis shoes because somebody said something that upset them and hurt their feelings coincidentally Kathy and I watched a movie yesterday at home it was, I think the title was The Freedom Letters pretty insightful movie about a teacher in Long Beach in an inner city school well a school that was morphed into an inner city school because they had to bus all these people in and there were gangs, blacks and Mexicans and Asians and whites and there were constant fighting and someone said, we don't respect you one of the students said that they wouldn't listen to her but you know she got through to them and she challenged them and she had to buck her own administration to do so but she did so and she taught them about Auschwitz She had him read the diary of Anne Frank. And one of the girls in her class, her name was Ava, said, you didn't tell me she was going to die. And she was angry. But she read the book. And all she would, the teacher was trying to do was say, this was a gang. They were the Nazis and they started a war that encompassed the entire world. And as Bonhoeffer would say, the church was silent. When she should have been crying out, when the blood of the innocent was crying out, she failed to speak in the right way at the right time. She impacted her students because she was willing to get into their world, their lives, and expose to them, not the gospel per se, but at least the wrongness of evil that they were confronted with in living. I had a friend that was at Sunset, named Billy Wilson, follow him on Facebook. He's very insightful sometimes. And I haven't gone and investigated the horrors that went on at, I think it's Nanning in China when the Japanese invaded China. The murders, the rapes, the ISIS revisited today. Every generation has it. And we don't want to see it, and so we're silent. We put our heads in the sand, proverbially speaking. We come into our places where we're comfortable, and we have air conditioning. And it's out there in the world somewhere. But when you get into the lives of people, and you know what they're going through, then you have the ability to speak to them. It was the prophet Jeremiah who said in chapter 20, 
Lord, you've deceived me. Verse 7 and following. Lord, you've deceived me and I was deceived. You've overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction because of the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. So the Lord, you've given me a mandate to speak, and I speak it, and I'm mocked, I'm laughed at, I'm chided. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. See, I, Jeremiah had a message. Go preach to my people. Tell them that they need to change their ways. They need to repent. They need to follow me. Because I'm going to destroy them if they don't. And when he proclaimed that, he said, turn to God or burn. Paraphrase, condensed. They mocked him. They derided him. They hated him. They threw him in prison. They did nasty, horrible things to him. He said, oh, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to say anything. I'll just ignore it all. But it becomes like a fire in me, in my heart, burning, shut up in my bones. And I am tired of holding it in. I cannot endure it because I want my people to come back. Brethren, Jesus said, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear, may bear more fruit. We are his fruit. We are his vines and branches, and we need to be bearing fruit. We need to be taking the gospel out, so that those who would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus learned what it was to become a part of the kingdom. That one must be born again. That's the message that we proclaim. And that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If that offends somebody, so be it. Put your evidence first. Put your thesis out there. Put your evidence out there. Say, let's talk about it because it's important. Because there's a day coming when God is going to judge the world. And you don't want to go through that outside of Christ. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, telling us how it was when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But he said in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Prepared for good works to minister kindly to people who are hurting, to defend the fatherless, the weak, and the infirm. Yes, proclaim the gospel so that they can be saved by the grace of God, but also to stand as a light in a dark world so that people see their sins. And what Jesus, what John wrote in John chapter 3, after verse 16, was talking about the evil deeds that were done in darkness. Because men love the darkness. When you are a Christian, you are light. And you are exposing those evil deeds that are done in darkness. Paul goes on to say in chapter 5, Be you therefore imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Brethren, that's the burnt offering of Leviticus. The whole burnt offering. 
you're giving your life. And so Jesus said, as you know, a man must, if you want to be a disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. I don't want to say these things. I don't want to deal with this. It's horrible, nasty, filthy. It's ugly. It's gross. Don't be silent. God's given you a message. And to get into the lives of people, to get the saving message of Christ to them, you're going to have to deal with some ugly. You're going to have to deal with some gross. So you can expose their evil deeds and say, but you know what? I was like you. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was part of this world. But I've been redeemed by the grace of God. And so can you. He said, Paul said in 5 of Ephesians, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's really what I'm trying to get to. We do have an obligation to expose those evil deeds for the evil that they are. Mother Teresa was not afraid to tell Bill Clinton, pro-abortion president, Hillary Clinton, a pro-abortion presidential candidate now, pro-abortion first lady then, Al Gore, a pro-abortion vice president, that abortion was evil. How dare you tell people they can't kill one another when you're allowing people, to, women, to murder their children in utero. We've been called by God. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 10, The one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking, speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. You see, doing good is going to be not only preaching the gospel, message of salvation, but it's going to be exposing the evil deeds that are done in darkness. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And if we are silent during evil, in the face of evil, that is evil, Bonhoeffer said. Not to speak is to speak. Silence sometimes is very loud. I know I've been maybe a little bit louder than some of my sermons today. Silence sometimes is louder than my loudest sermons. Because you're making a statement. Not acting is to act. But what do we do? We lift up Jesus. We trust that the eyes of the Lord are watching over us as we go out and proclaim His gospel. As we stand for right in the face of wrong. As we call evil what it is. These days, and I forget where it is in Isaiah, I posted it the other day on my Facebook page. Woe to those who call good evil and call evil good. Because that's what's going on in our world. And my challenge to my brethren is to don't be a part of it. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, as Paul would say in Romans 12, by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed by the blood of Christ. And proclaim Christ, Him crucified, to a lost and dying world. Proclaiming God's righteousness to a world that's steeped in evil, that will respond because there's a spark in them that knows that to murder 
whether it be a child in utero or a child who is five years old, is wrong. They know it, they just don't want to accept it yet. They want to live the way they want to live, not the way God would have them to live. Jesus came into this world that he so, that whosoever should believe should not perish but have everlasting life. He told Nicodemus that one must be born again. And we always offer that invitation call. If one would like to be born again, die to self, live in Christ. Washed by His blood, serving Him day in, day out. Not being silent anymore for any of the things of God. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, I extend it to you at this time. Won't you please come to Him while together we stand and sing?